This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. All right, we are officially recording. <laughs> we officially recording literary briefs episode on drinking with authors. I've been really musical the last couple of episodes. Don't know why. It's fine. Okay, so I'm your host, Erica Lance. I'm here with um, co host Valerie Willis, and today we have A.K. Snyder. Did I just did I, oh, like I got nervous seeing Jonathan Mayberry? <laughs> hey, I'll take it. That's a great introduction that I'll claim. <laughs> exactly. And our host, not Jonathan Mayberry. <laughs> I can tell the Baileys is killing Val here. Okay, so let's go with what we're drinking. I have a Stella Rosso um, sparkling red red wine from Italy. Somebody gave me this bottle. It's pretty good, actually. I'm actually impressed. It's not terrible, which is nice. What are you drinking, Val? Uh, coffees and co- coffees and Baileys. <laughs> maybe you should maybe you should do more of the coffees and less of the Baileys at this point. My friend. I'm still waking up. <laughs> yeah, Val only drinks on the podcast, which is funny because if she goes a little bit in between hosting, it means that she's a complete crap show when she gets back. Oh my god, the episode is going to be hilarious. Yeah. Everyone gets to hear my most drunken moment story. Oh, yeah. We did an episode with just the host of the podcast. And um, I think Val had way too much to drink when we started that entire thing. So something about a, a beach manatee. I forget what it was. It was the most bizarre conversation. But we just let her talk. And I don't think she realized anything that she said. So it was really fun. So what are you drinking, our lovely guest today? I have a beautiful Smithwick's coffee porter. Oh, I'm so jealous of that. Jealous of that. I had Java. Have you had, um, what is it, oh. the Java one? What is the name of that one? Oh, the, the baby, baby, jo- baby Jesus Java or oh, yeah. baby, Java. baby Jesus. Yes. Oh, they have the, that one? Yeah. They have a Java one. That's really, yeah. And they, they have a nice two-pump chump, which is just, just that, that thick, chewy yeah. beer that you can stand a spoon up in. Ooh, ooh. Well, I know what I'm doing this afternoon. I'm actually going to take the name of this, make my boyfriend drive me since I'm drinking, and go get some of that beer because I love that beer. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Literary briefs. Rapid fire. I even forgot what we were doing for a moment. Okay. Rapid fire questions, Val. What's your favorite book of all time? It's The Giver. It's the first one I ever read and walked away with a whole different view of life and the world. And it's that moment I recognized that books are crazy powerful and can change you. Awesome. Awesome. And on the opposite end of this, what is the worst book you've ever read? I'm a do not finisher. Um, so I don't, I don't know, but I would, I would say anything where the bulk of the story is social nuance, Jane Austeny. I don't pick that stuff up in real life. I really don't pick it up in a novel. Okay, I hate Jane Austen. I'm just. I'm going to be honest. I can't. I have friends that love it. I. I hate it. I can't read it. I was able to do Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, 
Yes. Because there were zombies and somebody else rewrote it and took a lot of that like nuance fluff and chucked it out the door. But I can't, I can't read those either. Like it, you know, so that's the next question as a reader, what drives you completely nuts? What will absolutely cause you to chuck the book away? The thing that makes me angry is if they change the book halfway through and all of a sudden I'm reading a book I didn't sign up for. Uh, I was reading one recently and it was exactly the genre I like. It's a uh, memoir. We're going to go do the Appalachian Trail, going to delve into some deep stuff while we do this big physical challenge. Super excited about it. And halfway through it became an entirely different book where it became a second person. Let's have you address your own religious experiences and i'm like that's 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 uh, not what's on the back of the book that makes me angry no. yeah no it's important to write a strong blurb but that blurb better be on point with what what you're offering the reader um because there's nothing more frustrating uh i thought once i was uh i remember this vividly i was seventh grade seventh grade in the library looking for more sci-fi for ya uh which is hard back in the the, the early 90s and, uh, it, you know, the title had, like, a only alien on planet Earth, and then the, the blurb was, like, alien, and then I started reading it, and it's about a traumatized boy who's, who's scared to talk or his brother might kill him. And I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. This is, like, this is a no. trauma story. This is not sci-fi. Um, granted, it was well-written, and I did finish the book, but that still stung that it was like misrepresented both in blurb and title and cover design. Um, so I totally feel you on that. So next question, uh, what is your, uh, every writer has a bad habit. So what's your bad habit? Like Erica writes, uh, everybody realizes things. That's my, that, and, um, I will, I have to be very careful with the SEDs. He said, she said, they said, everybody said, doo, doo, doo. like, it's terrible. Like, I just, everybody's saying things, but people realize. So now I, when I'm typing, I'm like, every time I use the word realize, I control F and look for how many times I've used the word realize. And then I'm like, okay, it's a 10,000 word story. I've only said it three times. I am okay. But people will realize everything that happens. So my, my characters have insane eyebrows. They are knitting and jumping, and and like there there are eyebrows all over the place, and you'd think it's the only only facial expression they have. So I do now. I've gotten the feedback enough that at every time I type out an eyebrow, I'm like no 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 no, you can't just have eyebrows. But that that is definitely my default. <laughs> <laughs> all the eyebrows, all the eyebrows are doing all the things. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. Okay, what about um. Uh, as so what is your editing process like? We didn't get a really chance to go down that. Do you have an editor? I do. I, one of the women in my writing group is also a professional editor. So I am very, very spoiled. Um, so I do have, I try to have editing versions that are each focused on a very specific aspect. So I'll do one that is just plot, one that is just character. Uh, and I don't really go through, the final word polishing and grammar polishing till the very, very last round. Um, but then I do have kind of two groups of different 
uh, beta readers that I work with, and both include professional editors, and it's amazing. I, I love that you you talk about doing it in stages because uh, a lot of of my writer friends are like, oh, revisions. I'm like, no, like you should be excited about revisions. And they're like, but it just takes so long because I'm checking for all the things. And I'm like, no, you're doing it wrong. No wonder it's painful. Like you should do it in stages. Like your first pass should be checking maybe all your dialogue. Your next pass should be, you know, plot holes. You, you do, you have to break it into stages. And I love that you mentioned that you have specific groups and people you go to for the different, different items to make sure that you're catching those because a lot of people think an editor is an editor but there's different types of editors yes they may do all romance but this one does developmental edits for romance and this one does line editing for romance and they come in different different uh stages of the editing and revision process like at the beginning you might want a developmental edit if you feel like your story's not strong enough because you're going to continue to write add and delete and then your line editor is more of who polishes it before publishing so i, I love that you broke that down uh in that way that, that's a that's a great example real world example and I love so, that editors all have their own picadillos so that yeah. I now have their voices in my head, right? When I open a chapter, I can hear one of my critique partners saying, but where are they? Why can't I see the scene? I forgot about the scene. And when I, and every time, and I can see that if I get to the end of a thing and at the end of a scene, I can hear another one saying, but what is the heart? Where, where is the heart? So I have these voices in my head now from my fabulous critique partners that say, okay. And, and it's really great. I can now start doing that in my own drafting and editing. That is awesome. One thing that came up recently was what was it like the first time your book was edited and they handed it back to you? How did that feel with what was communicated? Because a lot of times I think you went the independent publishing route, but you went with professional editors we cannot stress that enough yeah, yeah. um but a lot of times like right now when i um not story edit story edit obviously i want interaction what am i missing like talk to me but when it comes to line editing i don't give a crap i am actually like an ocd kind of person like i really care and i want to control things but i've gotten to the point with editors that i especially of course because i trust my editors i'm like i actually don't want to see this again just fix it just fix whatever i messed up tell me what it is so i can be pay attention kind of like get the little inner voices as i'm typing things but other than that i don't want to go line by line meticulously going over the fact that I didn't have the right tense or whatever. I just want you to tell me what I did wrong and I want to get the book published and move on to the next thing. So where are you at from an editing from the first time to now? So it's kind of twofold. Um, that I, by the time anybody saw a copy of Redefining Family, which was very personal, very intimate, that I cared very much was all wrapped up in, I had had three years of amazing feedback on stuff I cared less about. And that was so much easier that they could tear apart stuff that, that I didn't care, that I wasn't so emotionally invested in. And practicing on some of those earlier works, really, it both toughened me up, but it also improved my writing so that by the time I sent this to them, it wasn't torn apart. A lot of the feedback was, um, I, you're missing something here. I, I didn't write 
any of these books in chronological order. I just write the most important scenes and then I try and put them together into chronological order. Yeah. So it was, I don't understand what happened here. I think I'm missing something. Or I had cut scenes because they weren't publicly appropriate. And they'd say, but but you have to have something like that in there. And so it, it actually became more of a conversation of, all right, here's the raw truth that I'm unwilling to put in there. How do I put in the truth without throwing somebody I love under the bus? And they'd kind of help me rework a scene so that it was both truthful and accurate and not hateful and bitter. Uh, so trying to get a really trusted critique partner that can help you do that is incredibly helpful. And then when it, when it happened and you did that, are, where are you at now with editing? Are you more comfortable because of your editors that you're like, here, this is technically my baby, but I'm actually fine with you dressing it and, you know, taking it out for lunch How's and that doing whatever? relationship grown? Absolutely. So before I gave them these quotes, intimate pieces, we had established that level of trust and I'd kind of winnowed down my list of people I submit to. So I may submit to a broad group of 40 people in a general writing group when it's a flash fiction or a short story. But when it's a book I'm very serious about, I have hand selected every single person that I'm sharing it with because I value their input for a very specific reason. And so when they provide me their input, I take it. Very cool. What is, um, because, uh, you know, you get all, uh, editors are great at exposing things. Um, what is the most profound thing that an editor has ever exposed or brought to the table or, or changed how you tackle certain things in your writing? Like, is there a particular thing that, that stands out above the others? It's funny, that voice that said, but where's the heart? Um, that's the thing I struggled with putting in at the very beginning, which is funny for what I post now, because what I'm, what I'm putting out now is very raw and very intimate. But, but five years ago, when I first started working with her, the, the walls I had up around what I was willing to let people read were pretty thick. (laughs) And, And the more I was willing to drop those, the more people could connect to what I was writing, the more impact it was having, the more value there was. And I realized that if I was willing to show people how I, to show people these stories, that they could have an impact. Um, But it really, it really took her kicking that wall every single submission of, I want to like your character, but she's reading as cold. And I'm like, but, but she's not cold. She just has really good defense mechanisms. <laughs> and I have no idea what that's like, but they're really solid. <laughs> so, what do you like to read? I read everything. Uh, if I my favorite uh, is uh, near future sci-fi, kind of the Margaret Atwood Black Mirror style. Uh, that's what do you think favorite. of the show? I, I love Black Mirror. It's one of my favorite shows on TV. That first episode, I'm like. Except the first episode. I recommend really? it all the time and I tell everybody to skip episode one. Wow. I thought episode one was like, it was definitely 
hard. Like it, it definitely, I feel hit a bunch of, like, I, I, I thought they couldn't have picked a better episode one in a way because it hit so many emotional, like I was like, it was an emotional roller coaster for me. Cause I'm looking at this guy and his duty and his family and like, where do you make the choice? And some of us were sitting in the cheap seats going, I wouldn't do these things. Right. But would you, would you, if it, your job depended on it, how would it really affect your relationship? People say they're okay with things, but then they're not really okay with things. So why didn't you like it out of curiosity? Let's go down a drunk tangent. Why did you like it? <laughs> <laughs> so because the other ones, the other episodes, I think have all that same impact without the factor, which when I'm trying to recommend it, so many people are like, oh, I made it halfway through and I shut it off. It was too gross. So uh, which I, I think my favorite one on there, one of my favorite episodes is the uh, social media one. Uh, where the, with the ratings, I, I oh, whether you, where you stand. No, that that was a good one. The other one I really liked was the one where you have the playback camera, where you can play yeah. back something that you watched. Oh, I love it. I and love I it. was I was like, as much as that seems like that would be a cool thing in certain circumstances, I'm like, look how dangerous this is. You inferring what you think you observed. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed. That. I didn't even know it was a book. That's how out of touch I am with that. Oh, it's a I don't book. think Black Mirror is a book, but just that style. That, oh, okay. That, that style. Very, very cool. Awesome. Are there any genres you don't like to read? Um, I don't read much about submarines. I really. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Not a submarine fan. Yeah, no, no. I, I read almost every genre. Do you have music playlists to go with your books? Something I discovered is that Val has been putting playlists together for her books. She hasn't been putting them in the books, which she needs to, but. Oh, oh no, you see there, she snuck that in. And I did. She's going to give me a big lecture about this and, and but, how we need to resubmit. Yes, um, exactly. But she, um, do you listen to music? What is your writing environment like? Where do you thrive the best writing? I do listen to music while I write. I have a writing playlist that I play consistently when I write because it's just good for training your brain to get into the right space. Um, and, and I do have a couple different versions. So one that's a little more high paced if I'm going through an adventure moment type thing. Uh, but a lot of the time I end up writing outside. So I, I don't have any music out there. And do you, uh, do you handwrite? Do you write on whatever device is available? Do you just mix it up depending what mood you're in? Because you, you mentioned that a lot of your writing happens in a, a journaling way. So I was just curious. Most of my first drafts are handwritten in a, in a blank journal with words all over the place that don't even go on a line that are just segments all over the place. It looks, it looks like it's a crazy person writing. Um, but then once I get into second draft, then I start working in Scrivener. Oh, wow. You're a Scrivener. So it's like a little bit of a plotter. So we don't talk to a lot of Scrivener people. Tell us a little bit about your Scrivener journey. I can't stand Scrivener. So, oh my yeah. God. I would say Scrivener. Okay, so I know there's this association with Scrivener and plotting, but in my world, Scrivener is so amazing for stuff that I've written out of order. So I can take uh, everything in that journal, write, make a different scene for every single one, put them on Scrivener's built-in corkboard, and then rearrange them into the right order. So Redefining Family, I just wrote the scenes that had the most impact that I knew I needed to write about this moment. 
And then I put them into Scrivener and added what year each of those happened. So then I could sort through them and then put them together into the storyline that made sense. And with Turtle Envy, since I, I had to rewrite it because it became a very different story after some reflection, I could flag, this is about me, this is about our relationship, this is about scuba diving, and I could really start to see where I've overloaded one storyline and and shortchanged a different storyline. So I think I think Scrivener is just amazing, especially if you didn't plot it out well ahead of time. Well, even then, if you're the type of person who likes the right whatever scene is tickling your fancy at the time that you write out out of chronological order. I'm crazy pants. I gotta write chronologically, or I get I get lost. I get lost if I can't. <laughs> Erica's laughing because she's like, I I could only imagine your face if you were trying. I'm like, but but wait, we weren't we over here? Like, I would totally get lost in my own. Mind. But no, but that's a great p- point. That's something that you you can't do effectively in, in Microsoft Word or GDocs or anything. Okay. Scrivener has an amazing ability that you can leave yourself notes. You can attach resources to particular scenes even. And if you just need that level of organization on those many layers digitally, like it's almost like having a... Uh, like Scrivener implies, a corkboard where you can stack stuff together you can do that and rearrange it. So that's that's exactly what Scrivener is is strong suit and advantages. I can't imagine writing a book in Word anymore. <laughs> not after using Scrivener. I could not go back. Fine. Well, for those of us that are still using Word and Google Docs, we won't take that personally. I, I got into Scrivener and I was like, this is too, I'm way too much of a pantser. I was like, this is, I don't even need these things. I just, I need to. Too many use, buttons. Too many buttons. When there's too many buttons, I'm not going to be good at this sort of thing. So um, what are, when when you, you wrote these little stories when you were a kid, did you write a lot as a teenager? Did you write a lot of stuff that you were like, this is the heart and soul of the entire world? I am totally submitting to this angst project, this teen angst project. Uh, yes, Please. I went through. I went through and I dug out some of my teen angst stuff and it is, it is every bit as melodramatic as you would expect. And what's funny is when I was, <laughs> when I was about 18, my sister and I each pulled out our sketchbooks and they were almost mirrored of the girl <laughs> with the hair and the tear coming down and all the black charcoal over here. And it was, it, yes, it, it's got all the drama without any of the context that would have made it make sense. Yeah, (laughs) you have a submission, and it's like a breakup poem, but it's it's like comparing it or embodying it as a belly dancer. Like, what is what is is going on? Like, what does belly dancing have to do with breaking up? And it's all like the the like I took my 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 charcoal and I ground it into the paper so that you can read the words really really heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, laughed so loud. I'm sorry. No, it's so much trouble. I found love letters. That's one of the things I'm including in the book. Is I found love letters that were written to me, and. the things they compare stuff to, it's not like today where if somebody says something really lovely about you, you're like, oh, it's like, you know, I love eating ice cream with you because it's just so sweet and sticky. And you're like, okay, cool. But as a teenager, you're like, yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, no, I I have uh I have to I have to decide because I have a lot of like I kept all of my journals. I've got one from from elementary school. I've got some from middle school, and the middle school ones are hilarious because at some point my friend, my best friend, and I at the time uh, decided that to be safe, we should give all our crushes and the guys that we like or think are cute code names. <laughs> Yes. So dolphin today looked in my in my direction. Oh, peanut butter, let me get on the bus before him. Very practical. Very practical. I don't know how I feel about John Boy and beef jerky. <laughs> what is happening? What is, what is, <laughs> uh, oh my god. Okay, we're completely off the rails. So let's talk about writing again. So you have a music list, but where do you like to write? Do you like to be in a quiet space? I we've talked to a lot of authors. And um, we've realized that sometimes going out to like coffee shops or that sort of, or bars, depending on who you are, and putting your um, laptop, even with headbuds in where you're hearing the music and you're sitting there, but having the ambiance of humans around you. I can write anywhere if I'm all geared up for it. If I'm in that phase where I am drafting, I can take, I can take 10 minutes in the car or I can take it at, at a coffee shop or in my quiet office. If I'm in the drafting phase, I will just keep going. Editing, however, requires a whole different mindset. And when I when I edit, I usually end up printing everything out so I can see it on paper and edit on the screen. I take over the entire living room. If I can, I send my husband away scuba diving for the weekend. Um, that's that that actually requires space and focus and to be able to lay everything out. No, that I've never done that. I've. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Eric is like, I wouldn't know how that feels. But I wouldn't know how that feels at all. <laughs> no, um, I think when I first started out with my first few novels, even uh, with Cedric the Demonic Knight, I, I had to print it. I changed up the font face and font size, and I printed it, and, and, I, and I handed editing um, multiple rounds like that. Uh, I would even print out copies to people that I felt had strong grammar, stronger than myself, because I have some bad habits, like tense issues. Sorry, Jennifer, Vanessa. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, eventually I got to the point where I was more comfortable doing it all digitally, because I, I think as a writer, like you were saying in an earlier the earlier podcast, if you're not constantly growing and, and evolving you're doing something wrong. You're holding yourself back someplace. So now uh, in the drafting stage, I'm leaving notes. Like, I know this is wrong. I'll fix this in revisions. Fix yeah. this in revisions. I don't want this word. Find a new word in revisions. Like, and then and then you, you get to slow down and really nitpick stuff at that point. And, and I think it's definitely helped me for, compared to where I started and where I am now doing things in layers. Did you have like a similar journey? Absolutely. And I do leave notes while I'm, while I'm drafting about stuff I need to introduce ahead of time. All right. So I'll get to a spot where, okay, I'm going to get scuba lessons for Jer for his birthday. I should really introduce the fact that I have gotten him lousy birthday presents for many, many years in a row. And that needs to come ahead of time. And um, we get to the point where, 
um, my in-laws are going to take the pets. I should mention that we have in-laws and pets. <laughs> and that should happen much, much earlier. And so I, I do that while I'm writing. I leave myself the note so that when I go back and edit, I try to find the right spot to introduce those things. That's very cool. Have you, so you have this um, writer friend group. This is something that I've noticed comes up a lot is people will ask you to read their stuff. Do you have that happen? Oh yeah, absolutely. And then what do you think of the stuff people are reading? Well, we've, I mean, you're reading, I just use wine words. Sorry about that. <laughs> what do you, what happens? Because I mean, obviously if you have a critique group, you're all agreeing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, uh, uh, that you, um, what happens when you don't like something somebody has sent you? That's the more the core. How do you, you like it? That good, but when it when it's not so good. Um, so it's kind of twofold. So there's a I'm part of the large Tampa Writers Alliance group, which is which is a broad group with lots of interests. And if I read something there that I'm not a fan of, I'll usually just say, "This is not." my genre, this is not what I would normally read because they shouldn't take my advice. I'm not their audience. I'm not, they, yeah. no matter how much they polish it, I'm never going to be their audience. They should not listen to me. And then I just kind of sit back and correct grammar. I respect um, that a lot. But if it's somebody that is close to me, I know what they're trying to accomplish and I should be their audience, but it's just not working yet. I do give very honest feedback and I try to couch it with here's what's working and here's what's not working. Because I realized that if they're sending out a pretty rough submission, I'm not the only one who's going to give them a very long list of what's not working. But in their tearing it apart to try to rebuild it, I want them to know what is working so that they leave it alone. So that they don't think the right. whole submission needs to be redone. Because usually there's a few things that are working really well for them. So I try to break it down. And... Depending on the writer, I also try to give them feedback that they are capable and ready to hear. Uh, not every writer can capture all the nuance of, of putting the best word in the right location when they're still struggling with, hey, this needs a plot. Um, and so it really, <laughs> Hey, by the way, there's no plot near story. So we're not going to talk yeah. about everything else, but this literally is a story about nothing. So let's, and, there, and there's no there. reason for them to wordsmith. If the whole plot has to be redone, I'm not going to pick apart their language and their grammar because that's all going to get redone anyway. So I try to focus on the things that are going to be useful for them. You're such a sweet, wonderful person. We've been very lucky to have you on the podcast again. You are wonderful. And we would love to have you back when it's closer to Couch coming out. Yay! I would love to show up when Couch Days is out. It should be January 2021. That would be very cool. You should definitely ping us with how you're doing around December since we always need precursor time to do stuff, but we would absolutely love to have you back. That would be thoroughly amazing. You are so awesome. And I think what you're doing for the world is amazing. Yeah. So I'm going to acknowledge that because it's not just an author putting entertainment, which is not a bad thing. Nobody take that personally. That's right. what I do. That's Val does. We are authors putting entertainment, entertainment in the world. But you are genuinely helping people, and I think that's thoroughly amazing. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. That's so kind. Yes. No, absolutely. Okay. Shameless self-promotion again. Plug. Let's have a plug from you. All right. You can find all of my books plus free photos of me and my family around the adoption, free scuba diving videos. You can find them all at my website, aksnyderbooks.com. Wonderful. 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 Uh -huh. 
Please buy our books. Please do yeah. that. That would be amazing. And buy the books for, if it's not for you, buy them for people in your life that this could help because everybody needs help. And sometimes it takes different things for them to get that. So, yeah, library. Your library can order these and they are accessible there. Get them in your library. It helps me, helps everybody else. Yes. Libraries do exist out there for those of you listening that may have forgotten (laughs) that they're still there. They are. I throw that out because I had literally somebody at work and I'm like, well, you know, you can get a ton of books and audiobooks from your library for free. You just need a library card. And literally, this was a 22 year old went, what? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what has happened to society? That's not even a thing. I'm like, that's it. Everybody, we're going on a field trip to a library. <laughs> money for books. And I'm like, your library has ebooks and audiobooks. Just go, go. Have a yeah. field day. Exactly. Okay. It has been wonderful having you on. Thank you again yeah. so much. Thank you. Thank you, yes. Bill. I appreciate it. Of course. This has been Drinking with Authors Literary Briefs. I'm Erica Lance. And I'm Valerie Willis, and this and we'll has been. Uh, the, the, I'll let you talk. I'm done. I'm okay. Done. Um, we're gonna see you next time, and we'll try to keep Val a little more sober. That'll be fun. Cool, cool. Sober. <laughs> Bye. Bye.